Welcome to the Three Strands Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It is our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. The story of the wise men, some translations call them the magi or the rulers from eastern lands, right? And so here's this story, right? At the time of Jesus' birth, these rulers, probably not three of them like is so often told in the story, but these rulers from an eastern land, unspecified eastern land, see this star in the sky and they are familiar with Old Testament Jewish text enough to know that this is an indication of the Messiah's birth and they want to see this new king of Israel. So they travel west to Israel to find this newborn king. On their way, they don't know exactly where he's at. They just know enough to follow the star, right? Because when they get there, they stop and they ask people there, King Herod and others, they ask, where is the child, the newborn king of the Jews? And nobody there is kind of quite sure what to make of this and they're all kind of disturbed by it. But they confirm that the town is Bethlehem where the child's supposed to be born. So then the king, King Herod, he is obviously threatened by this idea that there's another king that's going to replace him. And so he schemes and he lies and he comes up with this plan. Go find the kid. And when you find him, come back and tell me where he's at so then I can go and worship him when secretively what he really wants is to go kill him, right? So the wise men leave and they go and they find the baby Jesus. They go in, they worship him, they give him these gifts, which seem odd to us, but those three things would have been quite valuable at that time. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh would have been quite valuable and the family could have used that for not just living expenses, but they could have used that for maybe college tuition or, you know, but maybe for their escape, which was about to come to Egypt to pay for some of those things. So the wise men leave and God tells them in a dream, don't go back to Herod because he's going to try and kill the baby you just found. But instead, take an alternate route back to your homeland. And they leave and they go back a different way. And this infuriates Herod when he finds out that the wise men had outwitted him. About the same time, an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, get Mary and Jesus and escape to Egypt because Herod's going to try and kill him. And they escape to Egypt. And there's quite a few things that get overlooked in this story. I'm not going to spend too much time on all of those today. I want it to be more of a kind of a brief devotional looking forward to the new year. But it's worth saying some of those things that are often mistold. Like it probably wasn't three wise men. It was probably a group, a larger group than that. And there's a, it's most likely that Jesus wasn't a baby anymore. That by the time these guys actually got there, Jesus was probably somewhere between the ages of one and two. And you think of all this stuff happening on like one day, you know, the shepherds show up and the wise men show up and King Herod kills all these babies. You think, oh, Christmas Day, all this stuff happens. But more likely, Jesus was between the ages of one and two, and it took these wise men a long time to even get there. Who knows where they came from? But did you ever stop to think, like all of the things that had to line up just for this story to happen, like what are the odds 
that this story would even happen? What are the odds that there would even be some men, some rich, wealthy, wise people in an eastern country that were familiar enough with Israeli history and, and uh, prophecy to even be thinking when they saw this star in the sky that there's a new king in Israel and then to travel several months to get there, like the odds that it would, it would, it would be as if like somebody in America knew about some religious writing in like some pygmy tribe in New Zealand and we saw some star in the sky and we were like, hey, that means we ought to go there and find out what's going on in New Zealand because I know the newborn king's supposed to come. Like the odds of that even happening are so strange, right? And then just in this short passage, were listed several of these quote-unquote prophecies from the Old Testament about Jesus. That the Old Testament records He would be born in Bethlehem. That, that God had predicted that He would end up spending time in Egypt so that He would call His Son out of Egypt. And then we didn't read it, but even further down in the chapter, He ends up going back to Israel to the town of Nazareth. And it says that too was predicted that He would become somebody who was called a Nazarene. What are the odds that this baby would be born in one city, have to flee to a completely another country, and then return to that same country he started in, but to a t completely different town in that country and live there? What are the odds of just those three or four things happening? Odd, strange occurrences. Adding that with these wise men from some unknown eastern country that know about all this also and they show up and you throw into that all of the supernatural stuff that surrounds the Christmas story with the angel appearances and the dreams God gives them and the, and the um, shepherds and the star in the sky and all this stuff going on at the same time. It's just like, man, what are the odds that all this would happen? And it's kind of this mind-blowing story. And I've, I've shared this with our church before, but Peter Stoner did this study with some of his college students where he wanted them to calculate the probability of all the things that the Bible predicted about the Messiah coming true in any one person. So in the Old Testament, before Jesus was born, there were 61 prophecies or predictions made about who the Messiah would be. 61 of them. Referenced 300 times in the Old Testament. Spanning about three to 4,000 years and over a dozen different authors throughout that time. I say that so you know that there's unlikely to have been any collusion between the authors because they didn't even know each other, right? So 61 predictions were made about the Messiah, where He would be born, how He would be born, what His life would look like, how He would die, where He would live, where He would come from, things that would happen to Him, what His friends would be like. All those things were predicted about the Messiah. And this guy, Peter Stoner, took his college students and challenged them to come up with a formula, an algorithm to determine the, the probability of all those things coming true in just one person, any one person. So that seemed overwhelming. So they started with one prediction and they slowly worked it up to eight. They stopped at eight predictions about the Messiah. Now, they excluded, of course, the one prediction in the Old Testament that said the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Because obviously, if you include that prediction, the odds quickly go to zero, right? Everybody gets that, right? That nobody scientifically would believe that there was a probability that the Messiah could come from a virgin 
And so they didn't even include that one. They just included some other predictions about Jesus in this analysis. Things like where he would be born, what his friends would be like, where he would um, come from, different places he would live. And they took eight of the 61 and tried to calculate the probability that any, all eight of those could come true in one person. Now just to give you like a frame of reference, right? I did a little research today. The probability of you being struck by lightning this year, okay? Anybody afraid they're going to get struck by lightning this year? If you've been struck by lightning before, you might be afraid of that, right? But the probability of you being struck by lightning this calendar year coming up is 1 in 700,000. And I'm not going to lie, that's a little scary to me because I want that to be a little bigger number. That seems like too likely to happen at some point in my life. I don't like that. 1 in 700,000. The odds of a lightning strike actually killing you this year are 1 in 2 million. Also not really high enough for my liking, but a little higher. The odds of a meteor coming out of space, crashing into earth on your house in the next year is 1 in 10, is 18 times 10 to the 14th power, which is, I believe, 180 trillion. 1 in 180 trillion is the chances of that happening. It's pretty good that's not going to happen. Right? I'm feeling better about those odds. My house is safer than I am, apparently. Okay? So they took these eight predictions about Jesus and calculated what are the odds any one person could fulfill them. I put the number on the screen for you. Here it is. You ready? It's one in 10 to the 28th power. Dan told me the number before church. What's it called, Dan? You remember? Ten, it's one in 10 octillion is the chances that any one person in all of history could have done just those eight things they picked out of the 61 that were predicted about Jesus, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that there would come one right before him who would predict he was coming right after him, John the Baptist, that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, that he would be executed by crucifixion, that even though he thought he was innocent and he claimed to be innocent, he would stay silent during his entire trial, that one of his closest friends would betray him and would betray him for 30 pieces of silver, and that then those thirty pieces, same 30 pieces of silver would be cast down and used to buy a quote-unquote potter's field. Just those eight. Just those eight predictions. I mean, think about the odds that would eliminate so many people just to say he was born in Bethlehem. How many people in the world have you excluded from that? And then to say he was killed by crucifixion. And one of his friends betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, you start to like dwindle down. And the odds get to be so overwhelming. They calculated, they tried to calculate the odds of one person fulfilling, any one person fulfilling all 61 of those prophecies. The, uh, there is no number for it. The number is undescribable by humanity. <laughs> so they just stopped at eight. The number gets so long, you can imagine it exponentially increases each prediction you add to it. And so to go from 8 to 61, it's almost unbelievable. And yet, these predictions made about Jesus have more scientific evidence, have more eyewitness accounts than all of the evidence, all of the accounts put together to prove that Abraham Lincoln and George Washington ever lived. But nobody doubts that, right? There's more proof 
that Jesus did these 61 things than there is to prove that Abraham Lincoln and George Washington lived. What are the odds that this story would even happen? What are the odds? And yet in that story, in this story about these wise men, I found this really cool connection between their Christmas story that we look at now and our coming new year where we look at the new year and we think, man, I want to get to some new places, set some new goals, reach some new destinations. You know, the one thing the wise men knew about was how to reach a destination. And so I called what we're going to talk about today True North. Not, not because I'm going to bust out a compass, because that would fail, right? Like, I, I would fail. I'd, I'd get us all lost, right? Wouldn't be good, Abby. I'd have us all, like, lost in the woods somewhere. But True North's kind of that indicator of, like, you can always get your bearings by following True North. And these wise men, they looked at this star as if it was their true north, as if it was the thing they were going to just keep following, that it would lead them to the destination. And they didn't know all the answers up front. They just knew that they were going to keep following that star. Now, it makes me think of this past summer. Now, Stephanie, like, question whether I should share this or not, okay? So if anybody in the room gets angry about this, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so this summer, we decided to go on vacation with some dear, dear close friends of ours. All right, They happen to be here today. Okay, and, and I discovered this principle when we were taking this trip, that we don't all tell directions the same way. You, got, you guys get that, right? Like there's some guys who won't even ask for directions. Now, I'm not really one of those guys. I don't, I'm not afraid to ask for directions, but some people won't. And some people, like, they just, like, I remember how I got there before. I don't do that either. Now, Stephanie can do that, right? But I came up with kind of these two terms. There's, when it comes to, like, directional faith, right? I called one navigation faith. That's kind of what I got, okay? Navigation faith. And the other one is, what I call the other one? I can't remember now. What did I say the other one? Huh? Oh, yeah, destination. Oh, he's got my notes. He's cheating, see? Yeah, navigation faith and destination faith, okay? Navigation faith is what I got. Now, when it comes to telling directions to get somewhere here, that's not always the best way to do it. We found that out over the summer. But navigation faith says, I don't really know how to get to where we're going, but I'm just going to trust whatever Siri says, no matter what. And we found ourselves at one point, right? Oh, we drove around the same place like three times, and, and somebody's wife now, I'm not saying who's wife. Somebody's wife was getting so angry at me because I kept driving around the state. We kept passing. What was that thing we kept passing? It was like an aerospace museum or something. I, was, <laughs> so I got some footage of us doing this. Are you ready? This is some footage I captured. It's Stephanie and I in the front seat, Opie and Tuesday in the back seat. This is some footage of us driving around uh, near Lakeside, Ohio this summer. Drive around this circle here. Should be the second left exit. There's the hotel. Hey, look, kids! There's Big Ben and there's Parliament. There it is! There it is! There it is! I know. I can't seem to get over to the left, honey. I'll try next time. Sorry. We'll get out of this jam in a minute. Kids! Big Ben, Parliament again. We know Big Ben. Parliament. Ah! 
Look, kids, forget it. I'm sad Kenny missed that because that's like one of his favorite lines from any movie. But that is not really that far off from what it felt like. Is that true? And we kept driving around the same spot over. Why? Because Siri kept telling me to go that way. So I just kept doing what she said. Tuesday was so ticked off. Okay, so Tuesday doesn't have navigation faith. She has destination faith, okay? So what she does is she gets her phone out, Google Maps it or whatever, and then she exhumes out so she can see the destination on the map, and then she, like, figures out, like, the way to go on the map that makes sense. See, I don't do that. I just trust Siri, navigation faith, right? When it comes to finding your way to Lakeside, Ohio, you want destination faith. Right? You don't want to trust Siri. But when it comes to following God's directions, we want navigation faith. We want to just do what he says, whether we can see the destination or not, even if it feels like we've been driving around in circles. And in this story, the wise men, they focused on that star and they just went after it no matter what. No matter what lies they were told, no matter who tried to get them off course, no matter um, who got angry at them or who didn't understand or who was upset or confused or disturbed by it, they just kept following that star until they got to the destination. And I noticed that as they followed, as they went on their journey to Bethlehem, that there were some principles that they stuck to, some principles that they clung on to. And they become the same principles for us today if we want to reach a destination, a goal. Maybe you set a goal for the new year. Maybe you've set some spiritual markers for your life. And you say, I'd like to be a little further along next year than I was this past year. I don't know if that's the case or not, but what I do know is that God has good plans for you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. A destination, a goal. Something better to get to. And if we're going to get there, we're going to have to grab onto these same principles that motivated these wise men. The same principles that they held tightly to during their journey to find the newborn king. Can I give them to you real quick? Now, I read you the story. Here they are. If you're a note taker, you can write these three principles down. If not, you can just listen real good. How's that? Here's the first one they followed. The principle. They, that your direction always determines your destination. Your direction always determines your destination. Now, everybody doesn't believe that. Some people believe that maximum effort determines my destination. But if you think that, you, you could just ask the big bad wolf, right? Who tried to like huff and puff and blow the house down. You guys remember that guy? I mean, come on. Were you guys never kids or what? Does anybody remember that? Okay. He, he gets to the brick house and he gives maximum effort but never gets his goal, right? Because maximum effort, while it sometimes may get you to the desired destination, doesn't guarantee that you'll get to the desired destination. Maximum effort. And some people believe that good intentions are what get them to the destination. Good intentions are what determine, determine their destination. But if you believe that, just try not sending your mom a Christmas card 
and then calling her and being like, but I intended to do it. That's, that's me. She got it, but it was like the day after Christmas, right? So that's me, right? But no matter how much I tried to tell her that I had the best of intentions, that I rushed to the post office as quick as I could to get it there at the last second, so it, it didn't matter. It still hurt her feelings because good intentions don't always get you the goal you're looking for. Sometimes they do, but not always. And some people believe that speed is what determines their destination. That if they just go faster, they'll get where they're going. They'll get where they want to go. But if you believe that, you can just ask the hare, right? In the tortoise and the hare story. You guys know that one? Well, you guys are not good on your childhood stories. I want to add to that 30 for 30 this month. Everybody go out and read a couple like nursery rhymes or childhood books, all right? Just ask the hare because speed does not always, sometimes it will get you to the destination, but not always, but always direction will determine your destination. Always. No matter how much effort you give, no matter how long it takes you, no matter what your intentions are, if you're going in the right direction, you will always get to the right destination. And these guys clung to that principle during this whole journey. They didn't know all the answers. They didn't know what house the baby would be in. They didn't even for sure know what town he'd be in. They stopped and asked. They, they didn't get the answers necessarily they were looking for. They didn't get the support they wanted. But they didn't know everything. All they knew was, whatever Siri says, I'm doing it. Whatever the star is over, I'm walking towards it. Whatever God tells us, we're going to do. Navigation faith. They didn't know all the answers. They just knew they were going to follow the instructions, no matter what. Here's the second principle they followed. Other people won't always support God's direction for your life. I mean, they show up and they ask Herod, where's the town the baby's supposed to be born? And the Bible says, not only Herod, but all the other people in Jerusalem who heard this were all disturbed by this. That there was supposedly a king of them, of their people born somewhere in Israel. They were disturbed. And they didn't support them. They didn't encourage them. They didn't treat them fairly or treat them right. They didn't look to help. They looked to make things worse. If you look at the antagonist of this story, King Herod, he, they did, he didn't respond the way the wise men expected them to respond. Here's the, I don't know if you caught these or not, but here's the four responses that King Herod had in this story. The first one was he felt disturbed, right? And then he started scheming behind the scenes to ruin things, right? Then he lied to the wise men and said, hey, I want to go worship the baby myself, so let me know where he's at. And then at the very end, he became furious. And I spent some time thinking about those four things. I thought, there's not going to be much difference for you in your life if you start to follow the directions that God lays out for you. At first, you'll tell people. You'll share that with a loved one. You'll communicate that to a quote-unquote friend. You'll have some situation come up in your life and say, no, man, I don't want to do that anymore. right? And your expectation will be that they'll get you that they'll understand. And this is how I wrote this down in my notes. You'll expect people to understand 
but instead they'll feel a little disturbed about your choices now. And then you'll go on and you'll expect people to be supportive even if they don't understand. But instead they'll scheme behind the scenes to get you to give up. And then you'll expect people to at least give you some encouragement. If they can't understand and they can't be supportive, maybe they could at least say, hey man, all the best to you. All the best of luck. Give you some encouragement for the effort to try and do something good in your life. But instead they'll lie to you to keep you down. And you'll expect people to at least stay silent about it all, right? I mean, if they can't support you and they don't understand and they can't give you any encouragement, can't you at least expect the people you love, your family, your friends, your coworkers, can't you at least expect them to just not say anything? You know, if you don't have anything good to say, right? You could at least expect them not to say anything at all, but instead, they'll get furious. You know, following Jesus with your life looks a lot like these guys encountered following that star. They stopped thinking people would get it thinking people would help, thinking people would understand, thinking people would give them some encouragement, thinking at a minimum they'd at least say nothing and just let them go on their way. But instead, they got people who were disturbed, people who schemed and lied to them, people who got furious at them. Man, it's going to be just like that. So what did they do? They just stuck to the plan. They didn't let the fact that some people weren't going to be supportive of them keep them from going in the right direction. In fact, at one point in the story, God shows up to them in a dream and says, don't go back home the same way you came because Herod has got a plan to try and kill the baby. I'm going to send you on an alternate route. I love that phrase. Because sometimes God's got to send you on an, on an alternate route. We did a whole session on that about a year ago or a year and a half ago. The roundabout way. That sometimes God sends you on a detour to keep you from destruction. Sometime, sometimes God sends you on a detour to keep you from discouragement. Sometimes God knows if you kept going the way you're going, even though you think it's the right way, sometimes He knows that you're going to get clogged up in a traffic jam and be like, this is ridiculous. So He sends you on a detour. But they just keep following wherever He says to go no matter what everybody else says. Sometimes God uses detours to keep you away from danger. And here's the third principle they followed on their journey to find the newborn king. That joy, joy comes when you know you're headed in the right direction. Now this one, this confused me at first. I didn't even see this until I'd read through the passage like three or four times. Because we hear a lot of this word joy around Christmas. We even sing songs like joy to the world for the Lord has come, right? And, and you read these stories about the wise men and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and Mary was full of joy in her heart and the shepherds rejoiced with great joy. And here in this story even, the wise men felt great joy. But what didn't hit me until the third or fourth time through was kind of this idea of when did they feel joy? When did they feel joy? They didn't feel joy in the story when they first saw the star and they started following it to the newborn king. And I would think maybe they'd feel some joy then when they first step out in faith and follow. But no. 
And they didn't say they felt joy when they went into the house and saw Jesus. And I would think that would be the most logical place to feel joy in this story. They finally get to the destination and they see the newborn king and you would think that's when they feel the greatest joy, but it's not. They finally get to Bethlehem. Somewhere in the middle of this whole story. And you can't tell from the text if they're standing outside the town of Bethlehem or if they're just simply standing outside the house Jesus is in. But the star stops moving and settles over the place where Jesus is at. And then in verse 10, it says this, when they saw the star, not the star at the beginning, when they saw the star settled over the place where Jesus was, they were filled, in some translations say, with great joy. They were filled with joy. Well, I don't get it. They didn't even know if he was in there yet. They were still just trusting this star. If they just walked through the door, then that would be the time to rejoice, right? But they taught us this principle. That joy doesn't always come at the beginning when you step out in faith and say, I'm going to read my Bible for 30 days. And joy doesn't always come at the end when you get to heaven or at the end of the goal when you're financially secure, when you're 40 years into your marriage. No, joy oftentimes comes simply when you know you're headed in the right direction. You take that step of faith. You do something different you've never done before. You haven't reached the goal yet. You haven't reached the end yet. But you're far enough along to realize, I am moving in the right direction. You know, for all of us in the room today, probably none of us are going to wake up tomorrow and think, you know, I was real screwed up yesterday. And today I got it made. Probably not going to happen that way. But you can wake up tomorrow thinking, you know what? I feel pretty good because I'm headed in the right direction. I think about my life like that. And that's how life works. You know, I don't have to be 85 years old looking back and saying, got a good marriage. But you know, I couldn't say that in the first year. Right? I couldn't say that. But right now I feel like I'm far enough along going in the right direction that I can look at it and size it up and say, you know what, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. For however long God gives us, it's going to be good. We're not loaded we're not financially rich. But we're also not what we were 12 years ago, right? And we're far enough along the process of giving to God first, of saving second, and then of living on living on whatever we got left. We're far enough along that process that I can look at it now and I can say, I'm not where I want to end up. But I got some joy about our finances because... We're headed in the right direction. I watched us this month. You know, we stood up in front of our church and we said, hey man, we, uh, we're short in our budget as a church. So just kind of challenge everybody, step up. Step up and let's all step up. If this is our church family, let's step up and hit that goal. And so Stephanie and I went and we talked about that behind the scenes and we decided to give a little bit more than we usually give, right? And what's weird about that is that as a couple, we made more money this month, don't you think? Than probably like ever since we've lived here at least, huh? Ever. And I don't think you give to God so that God will give you a bunch of stuff 
That, that isn't really the principle in the Bible. In fact, the principle, but the principle in the Bible is that if you give to God, He'll give you more to use, right? Like that if it's the prayer, the parable of the talents. If He learns that He can trust you to give Him what you got, then He's going to give you more. Not so you'll be able to sit back and be all comfortable, but He'll give you more so you can give more to Him. And I feel like we see that in our life. I'm far enough along the road now that I, say, I can see, I don't know when we're going to be able to retire, but I know we're headed in the right direction. I don't know how much we're going to be able to give to God next year, but I know we're headed in the right direction. That's the principle they're trying to teach us in this story. Hey, joy comes when you know you're headed in the right direction. So in case you missed one of those, here they are again. Your direction always determines your destination. Other people won't always support God's direction for your life. And joy comes when you know you're headed in the right direction. And the best question I feel like I could ask you heading into the New Year's holiday is simply, isn't it time that you just started heading in the right direction? I mean, you don't have to get there tomorrow, right? I mean, God's pretty patient with us. But isn't it time we started headed, heading in the right direction to get there, to get going in the right direction? All you got to do is follow what he says. For these guys, it was follow the star. For us, it's follow what his word says. It's your true north. It's finding what God says and then just following it. Whether people support you or not, whether you've reached the end or not, whether you can see the end on the map or not, you just do whatever Siri tells you to do. You just do whatever God says to do. And along the way somewhere, not, not even when you get to the end, along the way somewhere, probably sooner than you think, joy will hit you because you'll realize, you know what? I'm headed in the right direction. I can see it, that I'm headed in the right direction. And I think the message Jesus is trying to give us through this story about these wise men is simply just follow my directions. No matter what other people say or do, no matter whether or not you can see the end game, no matter how long it takes, just follow my directions and joy will come once you realize you're headed in the right direction. Joy will come once you realize you're going the right way. He says, just fix your eyes on me. Just fix your eyes on true north. And I will give you joy that lasts more than just Christmas. It's just a day on the calendar for us. But his joy will last for eternity. And you'll realize along the way, man, I'm headed in the right direction because I'm following true north.